Good morning, Capital. <clears throat> I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, my name's Kelly. I serve on staff here at Capital as a creative director and a few other things. And this week we continue our series we're calling Indescribable, where we try our best to describe the indescribable God. Now, for the Christmas season, we are focusing on four names given to the coming Messiah found in one passage of Scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, two weeks ago, our friend Paul used his brilliant gift of storytelling to reveal to us a wonderful counselor as he showed us that we can trust in the wonderful wisdom of God. And then last week, our friend Jeff Lucas shared a heartfelt and raw message about a mighty God who is mighty to save as he led us through the depths of struggle and doubt to look for God in spite of our circumstances. And he challenged us to act in faith by believing that God can, even if God doesn't. Now this week, we'll look at the next and possibly the most unexpected title Isaiah offers up for the Messiah. Everlasting Father. Now before we dig any deeper, let's invite God to speak. Father, today, I pray you open our eyes and you pray you open our ears to discover something about you that we likely know but often take for granted. Help us to see you and help us to see the heart of a devoted father. Help us to see the endless love of an everlasting daddy. And I pray you dig deep dig deep this morning and plant that truth in our souls so that it takes root and transforms the way we think, the way we pray, and the way we live. Lord, bless our time together today as we seek to know you more. And I ask that you help me to be a good steward of and a vessel for your word. We thank you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, I'm a father of three incredible boys. Of course, naturally, I began this week deep in theological research by asking my boys one simple question. What is a father? My seven-year-old Brooks chimes in. You! Thank you, Brooks. That's correct. (laughs) Let's try again. So what does that mean I am? What makes a father a father? What does he do? Brooks elaborates from his seven years of wisdom. You protect us. You feed us. You keep us safe. You're nice. And good. That's all I got. Mission accomplished. Well done. Good and faithful Brooksy. At this point, feeling fully accomplished as a father, I turn to my oldest. Noah, what makes a father a father? Um, I don't know. Uh, He loves you? I'm still not quite sure if that was a question. 
But he goes on. He takes care of you, no matter what. He'd give the world for you. He's always there. Of course, then in all his teenage brilliance, he lands the plane with this little nugget. He has a beard. This provokes my seven-year-old to get re-engaged with the conversation. He wears a hat. A lot. Now, while my boy's observations of my appearance may not be necessarily the attributes of a father, I found my boy's observation of what makes a father a father to be pretty spot on. I feel pretty blessed that my boys have more answers than questions when asked this simple question. But I know that's not true for a lot of people in the room today. The simple thought of the word father drags up feelings of loss, of loneliness, in some cases pain. Some of you in the room today have lost your dad, and it hurts. It hurts so bad because he was so good and you miss him so much. Some of you lost your dad way too soon and you never really had a chance to know the love of a good father. And others of you, for whatever reason, never had a father to call dad because he wasn't around. And you felt that emptiness in your soul your whole life. Some in this room, you wish you never had a father because that man could never be called a dad for what he did to you. Look, I wish that all of these things never had to be true. And if even one of these things defines your idea of who a father is, I want to offer you hope from your everlasting father today. He never stops loving you. He doesn't leave. He's always there. He always protects you. He always provides for you. He's good. And he always loves you. No question. And this is true no matter how you feel about God. Because you are his child. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Psalm 68.5 A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Today, my prayer for each of you in this room is that you leave here confident that you are a child of God and that he never stops loving you. Go back with me to Isaiah 9. And I want to talk about some really interesting things going on in Isaiah's words. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. First, note that Isaiah uses common language when referring to a coming king. Counselor, Mighty, Everlasting, Prince. But Isaiah pairs these terms with some more unexpected language. For example, wonderful counselor. 
there's a goodness in Isaiah's words, wonderful. That description isn't necessarily expected to show up here. Why not great counselor or wise counselor? Because he's not just wise. He's so much more. And again, even with mighty God, many scholars note that no Israelite king or Judean king was ever identified as mighty God. Isaiah's words here again are a bit unexpected. But if his original readers hadn't paused yet, the next description would really have caught him. Everlasting Father. Now, this is not just because the Messiah, as Charles Spurgeon observed, is referred to as both an infant and as infinite in a matter of words. But remember, Isaiah's words come nearly 700 years before Jesus. And while Jesus paints a picture, a vibrant picture of God his Father and God our Father, Old Testament authors use that depiction of God a mere 14 times. Jesus uses it 170. In fact, Jesus goes even further when he uses the much more intimate Aramaic word Abba when referring to the Father. Now, Abba would be much closer to our English word of Daddy than it would be to Father. And see, Abba was a very personal word, and Jesus' use of Abba would have been unexpected even for his early followers. In fact, in his research, German scholar Joachim Jeremias notes, nowhere in the prayer literature of the Jews is the term Abba used for God until Jesus. It's clear both Isaiah and Jesus want us to understand something not only unique, but revolutionary about how we think about God. He is not the distant deity we may think of, but rather a devoted daddy. Bible scholar Tim Mackey, speaking on the way Jesus referred to God as Father, said it doesn't just seem to have been a handy metaphor for Jesus. It's that he experienced God in some fundamental way as the loving, generous Father. How we think about God is something Jesus really wanted to make sure his followers thought about a lot. We, we've already leaned on the wisdom of A.W. Tozer a few times in the series when he says, what comes into our mind as we think about God is the most important thing about you. How you think about God shapes your theology. It shapes your prayers. It defines your actions. What we think about God, about who he is, dictates the lens through which we see our circumstances, our situations, and our experiences. Isaiah's description of the everlasting father and Jesus' clear emphasis on God's identity as a loving father are so crucial to how we think about him. See, if God is not our loving father, then why trust his wisdom? Is it even good? If God is not our loving Father, then how can we trust his power? Isn't that dangerous? If God is not a good Father, then why would we trust his provision or his protection? But the Bible's clear. You can trust in his wisdom. Job 12.23 To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, 
a light on my path. And clearly, you can trust and you can put his faith in his power. Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Jeremiah ten six. No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. And you better believe you can trust him to be faithful to provide. Matthew six twenty six. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Matthew seven eleven. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven could give gifts to those who ask him? Biblical authors, again and again, recite the power and wisdom and even the protection and provision of God. But all of it is meaningless unless he is who he says he is. As clear as God's attributes are throughout the Bible, none may be more potent than his identity as a father and what that means for us as his children. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Psalm 103.13 As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Luke 12.32 do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Did you catch that? Fear him, but do not be afraid. What in the world is going on here? It's verses like these that can really cause us some pause and frustration when trying to understand who God really is. On the surface, they seem contradictory. And below the surface... They seem almost impossible. The Hebrew word for fear is the word yare. It's, it's a word that has a broad semantic range. It can mean terror, and it can mean worship, or respect, or reverence. It's not a concept easily captured by a single English word. And it doesn't mean all those things every time it's used. We have to look at its context to discern its meaning. But to be clear, God doesn't want you to be terrified of him. And you don't need to be. But I do think the scope of this word is actually helpful in understanding what is actually happening. See, when we talk about fear, specifically being afraid of someone, often we're referring to their anger and what they do with it. But think back with me to my boy's answers to what makes a father a father. You protect us. You keep us safe. See, if they did not believe in my ability to overcome the threat they face, then they would not believe that I could protect them or keep them safe. If I'm not greater than the thing they fear, then they're still going to be afraid. The very thing that provides them comfort is the very thing they find frightening. Truth is, my boys are probably terrified of what I could do. But I hope they're not terrified of me because they know who I am. See, God can be both terrifying and good, but I don't need to be terrified of him because he is good. As Troy has taught us in the past, fear God and you'll have nothing to fear. That's why verses like these are so important for understanding who God is. 
Why don't we need to fear God? Well, just look back a few verses in Psalm 103. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Ten times God is referred to with these exact words. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That sounds like a father I can be safe with. Both because of what he can do and because of who he is. Now, even if you think God is good, he might be even better than you think. Look at Matthew 7 again. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Don't let those three simple words, those three simple words slip past you. How much more? Do you notice that that is a statement wrapped in a question? It implies the immeasurability of God's compassion and love against ours. They're not even close. If you think you have an idea of what good is, how much more God? Even if you think you know how much God loves you today, how much more he actually loves you? Look, if you're new to faith, you're just catching a glimpse of God's love today. Or if you've been journeying with him for decades and you think you have your head wrapped around it, I have great news for you. How much more he actually loves you. He loves you more than that. Now I hope, for all I'm worth, that I can give my boys even the slightest glimpse of the everlasting father. I hope that I can do it in a way that fixes their eyes on him. But you know what? I know the truth. I kind of stink at it. I get short and cranky when my boys need patience and understanding. I put my needs before their needs all the time. Most days, I end up being a better representation of Homer Simpson than Jesus. Look, it's not just the hair, okay? Even in my best attempts to love like Jesus, I am far more often the good-hearted, lovable goofball who tries so hard and gets it so wrong. But for everything Homer and I can get right once in a while, how much more a good and perfect father who never stops loving you. Never stops loving you. Now, speaking of Homer Simpson, how you think about God has a pretty significant impact on how you feel about his correction too, doesn't it? If God is some cartoon character version of the real thing, it's going to make you think differently about what he does, especially when what he does doesn't align with what you think he should be doing. You don't have to be a parent or a child to understand this idea. Just think about your boss. If you believe your boss to be, an incompetent, to be incompetent in their leadership, how are you going to feel when they come to you with some negative feedback? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He couldn't even do my job. She doesn't have a clue how hard I work. She'd be lost without me. Or, let's say you just think your boss is simply ruthless and uncaring. How does that correction feel? She hates me. She doesn't appreciate anything I do. 
I'll never make her happy. He only ever tells me what I'm doing wrong. He never gives me any positive feedback. Now, how does that same feedback change when you believe your boss is both capable and concerned about your well-being? How would you perform differently if you believe their feedback was in your best interest? Now, your boss may or may not be a problem. I don't know. And how you see your boss might be a problem. But the real problem we have may be how you think about God. How do your thoughts about God shape what you think about what's happening to you? Proverbs three eleven and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Sure, the Lord disciplines those he loves. But if he disciplines you and delights in you, what does that say about what he's doing? Hebrews twelve seven, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by the father? If this is true, if God is who he says he is, how does that change how you think about what's happening to you? What if God is up to something more? What if there's more going on than what we see? What if there's a bigger story? So in 2017, my wife and I took our two boys to Maui. No, I didn't lose one. He wasn't here yet. On this particular trip, we had the opportunity to go whale watching. So early one morning, just a few days into our trip, we drive down the coast, check in with the crowds, we board our charter ship, and both boys are excited as we set sail to see the whales. Now, after about an hour of seeing tails and flippers and spouts of water on the horizon, the ship dropped anchor and sets up for lunch. They whip out a grill and drinks and chips, and off the side of the boat, they drop a slide. No, no, it's not a water slide. It's an ocean slide. Now, the slide isn't massive, but it does drop off into the ocean about four or five feet above the water. And so this means you, like, full-on penguin slide down and off into the water. And I can say from my own experience, it was a lot of fun. However, my son's experience on the slide, I was a little bit different. For the roughly 60 minutes we sat floating on those waters, my son faced a wretched inner turmoil. He desperately wanted to go down that slide, but it terrified him. He would climb halfway up the slide and climb back down. He'd watch someone go off screaming with delight and then climb up the slide and then sit at the top and then climb back down. Tears streamed down his face. I'd stand next to him, climb up the slide with him, climb back down the slide with him. All the while, I'm muttering in his ear, You got this. You can do this, buddy. Just going is the hardest part. Just let it go, it'll be okay. At one point, I swam at the bottom of the slide waiting for him to go off, promising I'd catch him. In the end, he never went off the slide. It was 
heartbreaking. See, the only thing greater than his tears on that slide were the ones that he shed when they pulled the slide back up and the moment was gone. As a dad, it was so hard. It was so hard to see his struggle. It was so hard to know how much fun he could have and to know how much fun he wouldn't have. I wanted to make it okay. But there was nothing I could make him do. I had to let him choose. Even if it wasn't my choice for him. I'm so glad I did. See, at that moment, no matter how bad I wanted to be daddy and make it okay, my son had a much greater lesson to be learned. See, that moment has defined him. To this day, he can point back to that moment and say, never again. Never again will I miss out. Never again will I let fear keep me back. I believe that silly moment, that silly slide has strengthened my son's faith. The outcome of my son not going down that slide was far greater than if he had. Because even in our failure and our brokenness, God can do something great. Sometimes we look at what God is letting happen to us and we cry out to him. How could you let this happen? That's a fair question. That's a good question. Keep asking that question. But depending on how you see God, your assumptions about why may sound a little different. If you see God as a dictator, you may feel like he's punishing you. If you see God as a distant deity, you may feel like he doesn't care about you. But what could it look like if you saw God as a truly loving father. You may find that as your heart breaks, his heart breaks with you. You may see that you are not alone as you may feel because he never stops loving you. He never stops loving you. But maybe for you, maybe your struggle isn't with how you see God. Maybe it's with how you think God sees you. Maybe you messed up. Maybe you hurt someone. Maybe you're the dad who wasn't there. Whatever it was, you caused the pain that defined them in all the wrong ways. And you'll never let yourself off that hook. More importantly, you don't believe God will let you off that hook. And you don't want him to. Maybe you're betrayed by your own thoughts. You want to do the right thing, feel the right thing, but it just isn't there. You're angry, you're hurt, you're bitter. How could God love someone who thinks the thoughts you think? Maybe you want to believe you're loved by God, but you don't feel lovable. All you feel is broken and hurting hopeless look I'm going to say something that may be hard to hear but bear with me I do not want to invalidate your pain your hurt or your feelings 
I just want you to understand something very important and very unique about God. Stick with me. Even if you think any or all of those things are true about yourself, they were never factors in God's love for you. They were never factors in God's love for you. Psalm 103.11 For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Romans 8.38 For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, absolutely nothing can get in the way of God's love for you. God's not waiting for you to get it right to start loving you. Let me try to explain. For the last two months, I kid you not, the last two months, a different person in my household has been sick. Now, miraculously, it has not been me. I had a call for like 12 hours one day. I can't explain it. This week's victim was my son, Noah. He stayed on the couch home from school on Wednesday. Miserable, lying on the couch, moaning for most of the morning. Now we understand something. The World Cup's going on right now, and we're big soccer fans. We're in the quarterfinals. There weren't even soccer games this day. Now, seeing my son like this did not stir up feelings of resentment or frustration or inconvenience. I wasn't, in, I wasn't worried about the inconvenience he added to my life. It didn't make me mad at him for messing things up. No, it stirred heartache and compassion. My heart broke for him. I wanted to do anything I could to make him feel better. I don't need my son to feel better for me to love him. And likewise, when we are sick or broken or angry or hurting, God doesn't respond with anger or frustration. When you need more love, God loves you more. He's that kind of daddy. He's a daddy that never stops loving you. In fact, he's a God who never stopped loving you. See, that that word everlasting in Isaiah is an important one. Unlike a new dad who takes time to learn and get to know his newborn child, each day falling deeper and deeper in love with his precious child, God has always been deeply in love with you. Everlasting doesn't just mean from this point to forever. It's before and after. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He has always been who he says he is. God has always loved you. He only loves you more. And he never stops loving you. So 
So what do you really believe about who God is? Now, whether you realize it or not, this belief is shaping your every action and reaction. It defines your relationships. It shapes how you view yourself. It impacts what you do when your world crumbles beneath you. So what do you really believe about God? And what do you really believe God believes about you? Do you believe what others have to say about you more than you believe what God has to say about you? Are the words of friends or coworkers or internet influencers shaping your identity more than they ought to? Do they tell you you're not keeping up? Not good enough? Not blank enough? Or maybe you believe yourself more than you believe God. You listen to your own thoughts and your own feelings that tell you you're not enough, you're not accomplished enough, you're not deserving enough. Maybe your own thoughts tell you you can't be loved. But remember, these are not things that God needs to love you. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And just two verses later, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because God never stops loving you. He never stops. What could your life look like if you really believed this? How could that change your prayers? How could it revolutionize your actions? How could it impact your hope? I asked the band to stick around to share a song with us this weekend. Because I wanted to give you some time in class to start this week's homework. I'm the nice teacher. So here it is. Show homework for the week. <clears throat> I want you to start now. First, I want to challenge you to believe that God is who he says he is. Let it shape you this week. Let it shape your prayers and your actions. Second, I want to challenge you to believe that you are who God says you are. Again, let it shape you. Let it shape your thoughts and your relationships. Third, Maybe you came in today feeling confident of those two things already. And then I want you to take this time to thank him. And I want you to remember how much more. How much more he loves you, even in that. And finally, maybe you came in and you don't have the strength to do any of those things. Maybe you're in a season where you're not feeling a lot of hope. Look, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. Maybe you just need to listen today. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to lean in and maybe, maybe even lean on the faith of those around you today. Listen to their song. I pray you feel lifted up and just a bit closer to your loving daddy today. 
as the band shares a song with us, I pray the words sink deep into your soul. I pray the lyrics resonate in your thoughts throughout the week. And I pray that it serves as a reminder well beyond this week that God never stops loving you. God never stops loving you. Child of God. 
sun sets free. Lift your voice. Come on. Who the sun sets free. Yes, Lord. Who is free I'm a child of God. Yes, I Come on. Yes, sir. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yes, I. One more time. So in my father's house. My... There's a place for me. Big smile. Come on. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Lord, I pray that the concepts of this message today sink deep into the souls of every person who is in this room or watching this online. Lord, may may this truth sink deep into their souls, much deeper than the shame that resides there now. Let it sink so deep and fill the soul to such an extent that that shame is expunged. Lord, may it sink deeper than the lies, the false narratives that, that, that tell us that we're not lovable, that we're not good enough. Lord, I pray that, that this truth about your love for us defines us as individuals I pray it defines us as a community that we're a community of people who recognize we are loved by you and we want everyone to know how much you love them too when I pray for the the man or woman who's struggling to to embrace that as truth a teenager who's not quite so sure of all this so they don't feel very lovable today oh may it ring true may this truth stick with them for my friends who don't know you or don't know you well may this truth stick with them may they not be able to shake it off you love us with an unceasing love a sticky love pray it sticks to every person who heard this message today. I pray it in the name of King Jesus, who showed us you really are the everlasting Father. Amen. Oh, my, my. Friends, let me give you, give you a, a verse for the week. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. When we come together on the weekend, we often give you a homework verse. And... and you see it on the screen now. Isn't it gorgeous? Do you know who designs those? Kelly, who you just heard from. He's a brilliant artist. That's his handwriting. He just freehanded that on his iPad, okay? And so he's a talented artist, and he speaks into my life every week, and, I, and I'm so grateful to God to have that guy in my life 
And I'm so glad you got to hear from him today. The, the verse that's on your screen and this graphic that follows will be available for you to download from our website and our social media accounts. So be watching for them. Post this, share it on, on your social media uh, to, to tell the people in your networks how much God loves them, okay? This is the kind of stuff you want to post and repost, right? Uh, I, 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 I pray you do that this week. Um, I want to talk to you about next week. Next week, uh, I'm going to conclude our series, Indescribable, and I want to talk to you about peace. Is that the word you'd use to describe this last year? Maybe for you, you would choose a four-letter word instead of a five-letter word. And if that's you, I really want you to come to church next weekend. Because I want to introduce you to the Prince of Peace. Okay? Join us next weekend, please. Um, If you came with a need and you'd like to receive prayer, there will be people waiting here at the front to pray for you. So make your way up to the front of the, the main meeting room as our time together concludes. If you're watching us online, you can always email us, caretcapitalchurch.com. Some of these same people will be praying for you and for that need, okay? So reach out to us, please. Um, this is what I want to pray for all of you. <laughs> My friends, may you consider the, the person in your life who is the very best at compassion, grace, patience, unceasing love. May may you think about the person who loves you the most and realize how much more does God love you. And may that thought change the other thoughts you think this week. Thanks for coming. Grace and peace.